So those are people who um, have decided that I'm going to speak up. I'm going to not just speak up. I'm going to do something. I'm going to, like John Lewis said, I'm going to move my feet. I'm going to move my feet. We parked our car and turned around and there were 10,000 people walking by. I was like, oh my gosh. And I could not distinguish whether there were more whites or blacks or Hispanics or Asians. And it was just a melting pot. It was one of the most beautiful scenes I've encountered. Welcome to Love Your Neighbor, episode 16, A Melting Pot. In this episode, Reverend Ann Kirchmeyer speaks with Dr. James Holly IV. Hello, friends. Today is October the 31st, which is Saturday. And I am here today with Dr. James Hawley IV. And I'm delighted that he has agreed to be part of this conversation with me. Um, Dr. Hawley was born and raised in Portsmouth, Virginia. He has microbiology and dental degrees from Howard University. And he's spent the last 30 years practicing dentistry in Portsmouth and Newport News. He is married to a doctor who works at Sentara Norfolk General Hospital. He is the proud father of a 14-year-old daughter. And incidentally, he is sitting right now in Barnes and Noble so that his daughter can do some homework. So that's where he's coming to us from. Um, Dr. Holly and his family live in Suffolk, Virginia. They are members of Grove Baptist Church. And I know Dr. Holly because he's been my dentist for the last three and a half years. And this is probably our first ever conversation where I haven't had stuff in my mouth while we're trying to talk. So, um, so Dr. Holly, I'm so grateful that, that you're joining us today. And um, so I know you've already had a chance to look at the questions, but just starting off, how are you? I'm, I'm well, I'm well. I'm, I'm... I, I must say I have a bit of um, uh, anxiety and anxiousness about the election coming up uh, and the, you know, the path forward for our country. And I am, uh, I voted yesterday. I voted yesterday. I, I merely went to check on my mother's absentee ballot because mm -hmm. she's shut in mm -hmm. and because we've applied for it over a month ago and haven't gotten it. Oh. Yeah, exactly. And um, it, it, the register said it had been um, it had been uh, mailed out. So we applied for another one, but we're making plans to actually take her to the polling place, you know, because this is, I think, one of the most critical elections of our of our time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My my husband and I voted right after the voting first opened, the early voting. So we were really lucky. There was no wait. We just went right in and voted. Right here. Right. But boy, for your mom um, to God bless her and you and all that effort to make sure it happens. Oh, absolutely. Being the wife of a politician and son of a politician, a lifelong politician. I don't know if the viewers know my father was mayor of Portsmouth for over 20 years and led many of the civil rights uh, uh, activities in that city. And, um, uh, you know, my mother, although she's slow, she's still sharp mentally. She's slow physically, but still sharp mentally and knows exactly what's going on. 
So we're definitely going to make sure she exercises her franchise in both. Absolutely. I, it's funny. I didn't know that background about you until I was doing some Google research, getting ready for today. And something that I just thought was kind of fun. Your father was born in 1926, right? Right. That's correct. That's the year my dad was born also. Oh, okay. He, what month was your dad born? He was born in November. November what? 25th. He was born the day after my father. That's incredible. <laughs> I love it. Was, oh, that's he, fabulous. He that's was born the day after my father. Amazing. Wow. And we have an elderly man in our congregation who was born the day after that. Um, wow. So, yeah, just amazing. My, my dad, my dad isn't still alive, but, um, yeah. but I, love, I love that connection. Yes. So, as you know, my congregation is predominantly white, and yeah. we've been talking and, and thinking and praying a lot about racism, and clearly it's been going on a long time, but mm -hmm. um, be, coming to some new awakenings, I think, is, is what's happening. So when I'm, when I'm asking the question about the current situation, I'm talking about, you know, kind of the situation we find ourselves in right now, which as we know, just goes on and on and on. Jacob Blake, George Floyd. You mm -hmm. know. But so the question is, what is this situation like for you, for your family, and also for your congregation? It's, it's, it's nerve wracking and it's depressing. It's very sad. Um, I'm gonna tell the viewers my story. Mm -hmm. I have been held down at gunpoint. Uh, by and um, I got to be honest with you, I was I was breaking a rule. I was playing hooky in high school <laughs> with some of my buddies, and we were walking down Atlantic Avenue, at, you know, at 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, and you know, we're talking 40 years ago, and I guess that just wasn't something that the populace down there was used to seeing for young black men walking down Atlantic Avenue. Uh, just trying to get some breakfast and uh, we were stopped by police and asked to lay spread eagle and um, there was a gun drawn and they, they, you know there were no cell phones we couldn't call anybody or anything but you know they checked our IDs and they were like well you guys should be in school and blah 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 but it it went it went negative right away but nothing happened we weren't arrested we were let go but it, it shook us all for a very long time, yes. for a very long time. And I'll tell you another, uh, my only other real incident with uh, something like this was we were in Military Circle Mall, me and my, my buddy, who he's still, we're still buddies today. And we were in a shoe shine shop that they had there. And um, long story short, a white customer, it was a, a, a black gentleman doing the shoe shining and he put some, he put some uh, shoe polish on a suede shoe of his customer. And we just commented like, wow, I've never seen that before. We didn't know you could polish suede shoes with the shoe polish. That seems like it would mess them up. And this white guy took offense to it and pulled a gun and stuck it in my buddy's face like he was about to, you know, shoot him. And he didn't. And we left. We left and went and got the mall security people who were armed at that time, I guess they were off duty police, and they detained us. 
they detained us. The guy was still in there. They brought him out. I don't know whether they she showed him a concealed weapon permit. They didn't do anything to him. He walked away and we were detained. So those are my two stories that correlate to what I see happening, uh, it, you know, over the past several years to, you know, African-American men and women in this country. And it's, uh, it's very disconcerting. Absolutely. And terrifying um, to have that to have that happening. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you, so this is a question because I just don't know, Grove Baptist Church, what, what are the demographics of Grove Baptist and how, what's going on? Um, you know, is your church talking about all the racism things happening or what's going yeah, on? Uh, well, yeah, yes, but you know, you know some of the more uh, poignant ones like George Floyd and uh, Breonna Taylor and everything have happened after the pandemic. And so we're still not, um, uh, we're virtual. We're still yes. virtual there. Yeah, we're, yeah, and the demographics of our church is it is 90 plus percent African-American. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. We're still virtual also, although we're planning to go back on November 29th. Um, I think, yeah. Yeah, so we're getting, because that's the first Sunday of Advent. So for us, right. that's a big, yeah, big Sunday. Right. Um, so did you, it, you've, you've answered this already, I think, I just want to make sure, so you personally, how you've experienced racism, I mean, obviously, both of those stories you told are clear examples of racism. Is there anything else you wanted to say to the question about how you've experienced racism? Well, um, you know, just to be honest with you, Reverend, um, because of my my family's status in Portsmouth, mm -hmm. I believe that I, I receive favor in that community. Mm -hmm. I really do. I, and I, I remember when I got into Howard, I was trying to talk to some younger guys about where are you going to college? What are you going to do? Mm -hmm. And they had to break it down to me. They said, we don't have the same opportunities as you, yeah. you know? And so, you know, um, Another little story was I, uh, the week after I got my driver's license, I got a speeding ticket <laughs> when I was 16. <laughs> I had all my friends in the car with me and I got a speeding ticket. My father said, I told you the boy did not need a car at 16 years old. <laughs> we went to court. My father was vice mayor at the time. When we went to court, the cop was so embarrassed that he did not recognize who my dad was. He just, he just cowered that he had to show up there and argue this ticket and with my mother there. And it was just fast forward three years later, I'm a senior now mm -hmm. in, in high school or two years later, same cop stops me right out in front of my school. I, I have had a lead foot for years. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm just being completely honest with your viewers. Same cop stopped me. And when he saw who I was, he was like, don't worry about it. I'm sorry, this is all a bad mistake. So I, I cite that example to say that, you know, in terms of racism, I mean, I, I was in an interracial relationship in high school. So I, I in Portsmouth was for the most part really, a, a you know, um, nice area to grow up in that regard. You know, we 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 went to each other's schools. We mixed. I don't ever remember having a stark memory of that. 
growing up. I really, really don't. And um, but but my perspective may have been insulated, so to speak. You know, I get that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so to speak. And then, of course, I went to Howard University, which is a, um, you know, just been a hotbed of uh, of uh, activism over the years and exposed to a lot of black, you know, uh, culture and nationalism and equality and that sort of thing. So but it was in D.C., which was 90 percent black at the time while I was there. So. You know, it just right. That's why they called it Chocolate City because it was ninety percent African American, and so um, and all of my my father went there. All of his friends who were professionals were still there. So I saw a lot of um, African American success and no persecution. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, I, I just I, I've known you know that these things uh, are this this still exists in our society. My father built his career on. Um, desegregating the uh, public library, the golf courses, some of the lunch counters in Portsmouth. So, you know, I, I, I knew of the existence of racism, but it hasn't really impacted my life. I mean, it's interesting, you're resonating for me because of course, as a white person, I have so much privilege. And mm-hmm. so but what you're describing is some privilege that you had simply because of the family and the yes. situation you were yeah. in. Yep. Exactly. I, I'm trying to remember, did I read, did your father know Martin Luther King Jr. personally? He, 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 he didn't know, he, well, he did know him, not on a personal level, but on one of Martin Luther King's trips to Virginia, he stayed at our parents' house for one night. And the connection there is my mother was, uh, my mother's brother, the brother right above her, there were seven or eight of them, there were eight of them. And um, her brother, Wyatt Walker, was Martin Luther King's chief chief of staff. And he was the president of the uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And whenever you see documentaries on Martin Luther King, my uncle Wyatt Walker is there. And so that was how he knew to come to our parents' house uh, on this leg of his Southern journey or whatever. Yeah, because his, you know, his chief of staff sisters, it was her home. Right. Oh, that's fascinating. Wow. Isn't that fascinating? Yes. That's exciting. So the Black Lives Matter movement, um, you know, again, everything is so politicized right now that it, it's so hard. But mm-hmm. when, you, when you think about Black Lives Matter, what does that mean for you? What, what is the movement about? Well, well, uh, uh, again, I've, I'd like to start saying, I like to, I like to couple Black Lives Matter with Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter. You know, it's, it, it's, it's a tough job. Some of these cops have their bad cops they're good cops you know they're bad folk on you know but I think we are disproportionately uh victimized by authority figures and um and I think it's just more coming to light now because everybody has a camera yes everybody has a camera this has been going on forever but you don't hear about it you know and uh, now we can see it real time uh but um it, it, I think it's a, it's a necessary narrative given it just seems like it's just one person after the other that's being, you know, 
shot or murdered or just uh, just I mean, how can you be in your house watching television and get, you know, and get shot by, you know, shot five times, you know, but you don't hear, a, you know, this real talk. You don't hear about this happening to anybody white that I know of. I mean, if you can cite examples, I mean, because I'm always looking for it. <laughs> I this it just seems that we are disproportionately targeted and um you know i'm 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 going to right now say listen it's bad eggs in every basket bad apples in every basket okay that this is not something that is systematic although i know and i feel strongly that there are groups that this is their agenda you know when you talk about these militia groups and the, what is it the proud boys or you know what is um, what is that all about? I mean, you know, it's it's just, you know, our leaders, our leader, our leader today, I think, has allowed this to become more mainstream than it than it has. I think it's always been there, but I think our our president has allowed it to become more mainstream by not, you know, forcefully denouncing it. So I think it's always been there, you know, under the under undercover. So what can white Christians do to be allies for you? And is there anything in particular that you'd like to say that you, that you haven't had a chance to say yet? I would just say when there's an opportunity, speak up, you know, when you see something wrong, you know, you see something in, uh, that's um, injust, injustice. Um, I took my daughter and my dog who's here with me to the George Floyd March in Virginia Beach. I had never done that, anything like that before. Mm. And it was very um, heartwarming to see all races there, just like in equal numbers, in equal numbers. So those are people who um, have decided that, well, you know, I'm gonna speak up. I'm gonna not just speak up, I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna, like John Lewis said, I'm gonna move my feet. I'm gonna move my feet. I'm gonna, I, we parked our car and turned around and there were 10,000 people walking by. I was like, oh my gosh, they were coming from Mount Trashmore. And I could not distinguish whether there were more whites or blacks or Hispanics or Asians in that. It was just a melting pot. And it was one of the most beautiful scenes I've, I've encountered. I'm glad Lauren got to see it, but I would say in general, you know, if you see something that you know is wrong. If you hear about something that you know is wrong, speak up either through social media or you know in your congregation. Got it. And so in the midst of all of this, what is it that gives you hope, if anything? Well, it's certainly not the electoral college. I'll say that. <laughs> but, but the fact that we're in a democracy and that, when, that we can vote, we can um, put leaders in place that can more uh, uh, evenly represent, you know, the populace of our country. Uh, I have a lot of faith. I have a lot of faith. Can you imagine, you know, if you were a slave and, and knowing, you know, that you were going to probably die a slave or you, you weren't going to make it to what they call freedom land, the faith that you had to have to continue to, you know, uh, want to have a family, to want to have children, to want to try to better yourself. You know, that's the kind of faith that I have in terms of things getting better. Things, yes, this is a crazy time, but it's not as crazy as the 50s and the 60s. You know, it's, it's things got better. 
things got better. And I believe things will get better in the future. It's just, you know, like I said, we've had a, um, we've had a narrative, you know, we've had a, you know, a narrative, a person with the microphone that has kind of brought all of this negativity up and that sort of thing. And uh, I, I just think, you know, I have hope and I'm prayerful that that will change. I'm thinking too about things being better from the 50s and 60s, but not as much better as we might have naively thought. Or, or when I say oh, we, no. maybe white people in particular. Um, and that, as you said, the fact that there are cell phones and videos now, we're having to see things that aren't, I fear to say, surprising things to folks of color because they've been happening mm -hmm. all along. But now they're in the public. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I am glad, I, I mean, I, I do think there are some ways in which things are better than the 50s and 60s. And then there are some ways in which it's the right. same thing over and over and over again. It, it, it's 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 different. It's more it's more it's more economic. It's um, economic uh, discrimination for sure. Um, um, it's education discrimination is still uh, prevalent. Uh, it, it's we have a long way to go, but you know we can. You know we can at least. Just think about it. We could not eat in the same restaurants. We could not use the same restrooms. I mean, this is just a generation ago. You know, it's it, the thought of it is is really mind boggling. And um, yeah, so I think we've come a very long way, but we still have a ways to go. Yeah, I'm, again, I'm still struck that our dads were one day apart. So the childhood of your dad and the childhood of my dad would have been very, very different. Um, very, very different. Very different. So I think, you know, we usually end by a little bit of time of prayer. And I know that you're in the Absolutely. middle of Barnes and Noble, but if that's okay. No, 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 I'm, I'm perfectly fine. I have this whole little restaurant to myself. <laughs> okay. So please. If it's okay, I'll start. And then if you could chime in with whatever you want to say, and then we'll do the Lord's oh. Prayer. Okay. Is that okay? All right. That's okay. Holy God, I thank you so much for Dr. Holly and his willingness to take part in this video and for his candor and insight and reflectiveness. I thank you for the family in which he was raised and the experiences that he's had and the way that he brings those into his life um, in his service of others. I ask for your help for our country, Lord God, in this divided and contentious time. I pray for you to guide us Help us to find ways to come together rather than tearing each other apart and to respect the dignity of every human being, knowing that all of us are made in your image, God. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And dear Lord, I'd like you to, I'd like to send a prayer up for Reverend Kirschmeyer and 
may her words and her deeds spring forth similar efforts and energy and care and love and respect in those that she pastors. And I think in doing that and keeping people like her, uh, looking out for all of humanity from a, a spiritual and pastoral way, things will be better. Amen. Amen. And then we pray together. Our, Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom, kingdom come, come. Thy will, will be done on earth, on earth as, it is, as it is in heaven. Give us this, this day our daily, daily bread, bread and, and forgive us our trespasses as we as forgive we those who trespass against, against us. And lead us lead not into temptation, but deliver, deliver us, us from evil. For thine, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the power and the glory, and the glory forever, and forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So, listener, what are you thinking and feeling right now? James shared his experiences with racism and also his relative lack of experiences with racism, which draws our attention to the importance of environment and class in our society. Like James said, we find ourselves in a time where the racism and discrimination from the past that has continued to exist somewhat quietly is suddenly brought into the light, along with new types of racism and discrimination. We've made progress, but there is still a long way to go. Yet we can have the kind of faith the slaves had. Faith that we will overcome, no matter how hopeless our situation may seem. We can see that we are all in this together, speaking up, moving our feet. All races and cultures, together. Thank you for listening, and thank you for following and sharing Love Your Neighbor. This show is produced by St. Andrew's Episcopal Church, Newport News, Virginia.